0: to the Dread Podcast Network.
1: From Nice Guy Productions' world headquarters overlooking the glamorous San Fernando Valley, I'm Mick Garris, and this is the fun size post-mortem AMA where you can ask me anything. Producer Joe, you must have a bunch of great questions lined up.
2: We have so many great questions, Mick. Uh, Actually, before
1: we get into the questions, I just want to say that on August 6th at Dark Delicacies in Burbank, there's going to be a big signing there. I'll be signing my books. William Malone will be there. Uh, Joshua Milliken will be there. Handful of people. So that's at Dark Delicacies in Burbank, August 6th at 3 p.m.
2: Well, that sounds like an awesome lineup of people to go get some things signed from. So absolutely. I hope everybody will go check that out. And then I think you're also hosting a screening of The Thing soon, right? Yeah, I don't
1: know what date that is yet, but uh, that's coming up pretty soon.
2: Well, we'll keep everybody posted. Uh, if not on AMAs, keep an eye on Nick's social medias for um, news and updates about that. Yeah, that's uh, but- going to
1: be at the Alamo Draft House downtown LA.
2: Good, great, which is, uh, which is an awesome theater so uh and i guarantee they will be showing it in its correct aspect ratio <laughs> damn right <laughs> uh well uh well how are you doing mick what's what's what else is new in your world
1: oh everything is going well moving along really well on this pilot script we're working on and uh, so it's taking longer than i would like but uh they always do don't they
2: they always, they always seem to. Uh, but good, I'm glad things are chugging. We just and wrapped, you? yeah. Uh, we just wrapped Soulmates, my, uh, my, my, my latest movie that was based on our Bloodless script. And um,
1: uh, heartiest of congratulations to you! Thank there you on thank movie you. number seven.
2: Movie number seven. So uh, yeah, no, we're we're. It seems seems all really promising. Mark Ant, the director, did a really nice job. Uh you know all all the footage I've seen looks looks really exciting. So uh fingers and toes crossed it all comes together in the edit. Uh seems like it could be a fun one. I'm so, optimistic. Yes, me too. Uh all right, let's dive into some questions which we got from our uh fans on social media and through the new ask Mick anything at gmail uh email address. Um so you ready Mick?
1: Let's dive in.
2: All right josh from your next favorite movie podcast asks (laughs) what was your favorite stephen king collaboration and why is it my favorite sleepwalkers (laughs) (laughs) well um
1: it's it's probably not sleepwalkers as great as that was that was the first one so obviously it has a big big place in my heart and on my resume but um probably would be The Stand because it was so massive, so successful uh, in in every way. It had such a huge audience. It was the first time where I really got to spend a lot of time with King, who was a producer in name as well as in fact, and was around for a lot of the production. Uh, It was a massive script. It was an experience with so many great actors, a great crew, really really hard shoot uh for a long long time but um i would i would have to say that because on so many levels it it was such a good experience that it would have to be the
2: stand there you have it josh from your next favorite movie podcast <laughs> <laughs> sorry
1: right. that we're not in agreement uh, but uh, as much as i love sleepwalkers stand just feels more like an accomplishment
2: uh, I get it. And um, I actually will be on your next favorite movie podcast pretty soon, talking about my favorite movie, Ghostbusters. So awesome. Uh, <laughs> Yay. All right. Donut Much Fist. Promotion. Yes, yes. Sh- shameless self promotion. Uh, Donut, Donut Fist writes <laughs> You've discussed the differences between your prose fiction and screenwriting, but what are the similarities? Well, the similarities are
1: still telling stories. Um, in, in prose, it can be more intimate and more personal, but the similarities are, you still have a be- beginning, a middle and an end. You're still dealing with characters and trying to give them lives as rich as you can compose on, uh, on a keyboard. Um, and storytelling is storytelling. The process is completely enjoyable to me uh, in both formats. Um, It's just a matter of format and anything that's internal, you have to find external ways of expressing it in the screenplay that you don't have to worry about when you're writing fiction, when you're writing fiction, all bets are off and anything can happen. You also don't have the same commercial concerns when you're writing fiction as you're writing the screenplay, but you are still communicating with an audience and ultimately they are the arbiters of, of the success or failure of the work you're doing. So telling stories is telling stories. It's just a matter of format.
2: There you have it. Uh, Mark asks, Mick and Joe, can you recall the first time you saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre?
1: I certainly can. Uh, I saw it in the seventies in a theater that no longer exists in North Hollywood And it was on a really rainy day and it was a crappy old theater that had a leaky roof, (laughs) even though it was a multiplex, it was a United artists multiplex. Uh, And in the front of the theater, you know, where the slope ends in front of the screen, it was six inches of water, (laughs) rainwater.
2: Oh my gosh.
1: And so I saw that movie under those circumstances, which even though it was in North Hollywood, California, it was United Artists Theater, it felt like it was 42nd Street. You know, it felt really (laughs) kind of scummy and slimy and downscale. And and it was the perfect way to see it. Perhaps the only better way would have been on 42nd Street or maybe in a drive-in theater. But this way, it was a shared experience. And it was a magnificent experience. And uh really mind-blowing and you know i was a little afraid of that movie that title promises that anything can happen and uh it does but in in ways that are so artful unexpectedly artful and it it really had a major impact
2: on me. did you know going in like anything about it or or other or was there there buzz around it when you went in like where what was like? What was the context of it? I guess.
1: Well, there was definitely buzz around it, but at that time, and this is 1974. I think I probably saw it in '75, um, maybe even '76. But there was buzz. There wasn't an internet, you know. Publications sure. came out uh, monthly or bimonthly that would talk about it. The Cinefantastiques were quarterly, you know, magazines like that. Um, And mainstream press rarely even reviewed things like that, so it was all word of mouth sort of thing, and people would say, "Have you seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre?" (laughs) Like it's a test of your masculinity,
2: you know. When you when it with the rain, could
1: you hear the rain over the picture? I didn't hear the rain pounding outside but what I did hear was the trickling into the puddle in front. That's what I was wondering, yeah. yeah. Oh wow. It it didn't drown anything out but it certainly added to the atmosphere.
2: Gosh. Yeah, no, I mean I I wish I had a story like that. Mine mine's much more boring. I mean, I uh I didn't discover it until much later, you know. I I this is going to sound horribly sacrilegious but I saw the remake first.
1: Oh jeez.
2: <laughs> oh gee i know i know it's like
1: seeing sorcerer before wages of fear which i did and so <laughs> sorcerer has always been my preferred version
2: of that story it's interesting i you know i i you know it's it's funny because i feel like on um on joe bob on the last drive-in he has this argument back and forth with darcy the male girl about the texas chainsaw remake and i i i too am a fan of the remake but i also am a fan of the original you know like i you
1: saw it first if you had not seen the remake first you probably would not feel the same
2: yeah well and also remember i was in either like late high school or freshman year of college i can't remember which and you know Jessica Biel in that movie makes quite an impression uh, <laughs> on, on a teenage boy. So um, <laughs> All you right. know, so but, it
1: was a hormonal experience, yeah, pro- yeah. probably.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean you know it's it was so interesting because that one is so polished, uh, and then to go back and see the original, which is so raw. Yeah. Um, it really, it, is, it really, it's,
1: it's a good movie, but yeah. but it's not the texas chainsaw massacre
2: no it's it's they're they're very different experiences and and toby's is much more visceral i think definitely Um, so
1: even uh, though it's less graphic you think you're seeing a lot more than you are
2: yes yeah exactly whereas whereas in the remake you you see a lot more than uh, yeah so for sure i i but uh i wish i could have seen it in a uh a grindhouse with a leaky roof um uh all right on that line of of texas chainsaw massacre vince asks and i don't know if we've ever actually like definitively gotten this out of you what is your favorite horror movie of all time
1: well we have talked about this and people have asked that often yeah and and i just I never prioritize movies. I don't that have way. like a top yeah. ten list. I, because it, it's a constantly shifting thing, and I, I always want to be consuming new stuff as well, and not, right. you know, sometimes sometimes it's The Bride of Frankenstein just because it it broke so much ground. Sometimes yeah. it's Dead Ringers because of yeah. its brilliance and the acting quality and how completely original it is. Yeah. Sometimes it's an American Werewolf in London or The Howling who both of which have equal uh, stature to me in the werewolf movie game
2: and, and a part of your legacy uh as well well
1: um, as well but yeah. you know it it just shifts all the time uh, uh maybe it's the exorcist or you know exorcist who the heretic no i'm kidding <laughs> uh, but you know I, I i don't prioritize in that way and So it's it's uncomfortable for me to try because, uh, you know, it's like giving awards like Oscars and the like the best of one thing. Well, for some people and in this moment, it it just I understand Woody Allen's attitude about the Oscars. It's the same way of ranking artistic merit in a competition. And I just don't it's a philosophical standpoint that i i i find uncomfortable
2: you know i i i agree with you i think it's it's very you know if you love a movie it's very hard to express why you might love one more than another you know uh right. and and i'm you know but so i i'm i'm with you i i feel like you know when i think about uh halloween or the thing or alien or like any of those movies i i love them all kind of equally you know Yeah, and and all of
1: those could be at the top of my list exactly
2: yeah Yeah. and respectfully so yeah Uh, and and respectably so Um, and dozens of
1: others as well
2: yeah exactly that's that's, it's a really hard hard question um but uh speaking of of bess uh there was a little bit of a uh twitter uh you know, scandal this week. Uh, And Brad wants to know, what did you think of Jordan Peele going on record this week and saying John Carpenter is the greatest horror director of all time?
1: Well, it's not exactly what he said, Uh, but in a roundabout roundabout way, when somebody asked him how it felt to be the the greatest director in horror and he said i will not denigrate john carpenter in that way yeah (laughs) i thought it was a great answer to a stupid question
2: yes yes (laughs) um it was pretty cool though uh and um you know i think i think like the longer the you know the horror genre grows and continues the more john's status at the top really seems to be cementing itself um but so.
1: once again we're talking about best and there's a lot of great ones out there and that's true
2: that's john true. is
1: uh, we'll just have a top tier of, is, of yeah, 50 or top so tier oh, the, yes yeah.
2: all right fair fair enough fair enough all right this next one's a a, a longer question so let's settle in as i uh read through it all matt right. writes so i remember a few years ago mick was talking about toby hooper's original cut of what would become his final film, Jin, saying how it was a much better film than the cut that saw official release, I believe citing the studio who funded it being the issue. Now, I won't ask for details on what made it better, but feel free to share. But does Mick know if anyone still has this cut or if there's ever going to be a way to see it, uh, even if it's unofficially released online?
1: I don't know of anyone who has it. Toby brought a Blu-ray over to my house to show it to me when he had completed it. And, you know, it was finished without him. Uh, And basically it was recut. It made less sense. It was shorter. It was choppier. The character development was truncated. Um, It was was like an editor took it over who had never edited before. Wow. Um, And the original version first of all photographically it's beautiful it's really a great looking movie it was a very troubled shoot according to him and toby felt that his life was in danger much of the time while he was making it wow Um, but toby's son tony uh, is the most likely one to to have those materials and i'm not sure if he does but uh, i don't know that there's much of a possibility of it being restored to Toby's original vision and being released. I think it's unlikely because of the the uh, Saudi Arabian uh, government having a bit of a problem with the movie as well. So that's why Toby felt endangered.
2: Oh man! So it's it's it literally might be just one of those movies that's lost to time. Uh,
1: could very well be.
2: Well, that's that's that is a bummer. I would have loved to have seen. Uh, his unadulterated uh vision
1: yeah and it wasn't about the violence and the like but i think it's making movies under governmental auspices is a very difficult way to have your vision
2: it's hard enough to fulfilled. do it uh <laughs> yeah it's hard enough to do it even through the hollywood system i can't imagine for sure <laughs> all right here's another one uh, another longer one from our uh email uh steve writes with so many versions of films coming out on 4K and as special editions, we super fans end up buying them, uh, wanting the definitive edition of our favorites. I just upgraded to Blu-ray for *Sleepwalkers* after your 30th anniversary podcast. Uh, but this got me wondering: Do you, as the maker, producer, writer, make any royalties from new versions and/or formats of your films and television series as they're re-released? For example, as a film goes from VHS to DVD to Blu-ray to 4K, et cetera. Or if you record a commentary or a new interview for one of them, are you paid just once and then you've completed the project and that's it?
1: Uh, I have never been paid to do a commentary on a special edition. Uh, I do it just for the love of the movie and, and sharing the stories with people who care about it. The Writers Guild has a very standard set of residual payments that are required started with vhs um, there's a tv uh, residuals there's international residuals which is all countries lumped together and it's an annual payment um, for all of your projects not one at a time uh, it diminishes over the course of the years with each new edition it just means that we might sell some more that haven't sold in years. So there would be small residuals that go with that. Um, it's not like back in the old days where a couple of years after the fly 2 came out um, on VHS, uh, it was released on VHS a couple of years later. And I got a couple of checks for like $40,000. Don't, you don't see those that much anymore, unless it's for a hit movie. Now, And after all the years, the the multiplication and subtraction uh, diminishes it substantially. For example, a TV residual, the first time it's rerun, you get half of what the scale was. Second time, half of that. And it just keeps going down and down and down. I literally get checks for 12 cents sometimes. Wow it costs three times as much to four times as much to mail it as it does to, as the check <laughs> is worth and processing and all that
2: stuff. Yeah. I so, got one of those uh, from trauma recently uh, <laughs> oh. for f- 14 cents. Uh, nice. So, yeah.
1: Well from trauma, it's surprising that you
2: get them. Hey, thanks uncle Lloyd. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, but do you, when, when they hit new formats per se, like, blu-ray or 4k is there a um is there is there a boost you see a boost when that happens
1: only because more copies will be sold it uh, people will buy it all over again uh, after it's run fallow for a while but there's no formula that increases the money with every new format that comes out it's the same formula that units sold are units sold no matter what the disc
2: got it got it so you know when you do see it buy it because uh that's more that's units right. sold um there you have uh, it
1: another penny in my pocket it's, uh, which you it's, don't get on streaming
2: right which is going to probably be the subject of the next writer's guild negotiations right. in, going into next year so uh which might lead to another strike <laughs> which <Hooray. may> well. <laughs> may well. um, all right More more on that to come. Uh, Adam writes, Mick, I enjoy listening to the audio commentaries on your films, which provide a fun peek behind the curtain. Are there any of your films you still want to provide a commentary on that haven't uh, yet been done? And or would you ever consider recording and releasing commentaries for your other films, like say through postmortem?
1: I wouldn't do that. Uh, a commentary on a disc is one thing, but a self-contained commentary is is awfully self-congratulatory <laughs> and masturbatory, I think, in some ways. Um, you know, the the big ones have been done. Uh, the Stand, the Shining, Sweepwalkers have been done. Critters 2 has been done. Uh, riding the bullet has been done. I don't think, did we do one for desperation? I don't remember if we did or not. Bag of Bones. I don't think we did, um, but if somebody wants me to, if if one of the uh, producers, one of the distributors wants me to do a track, I'm happy to do one. Uh, I enjoy doing them. Uh, it's fun to revisit them, but I don't have any uh, gnawing need uh, to, to do
2: them. So yes, we will, uh, at least not anytime soon, be doing uh, live watches on post-mortem.
1: No, we won't. But one of the fun things about doing them, and we did it with Psycho 4 as well, getting some of the cast and people involved back together to look back on it together, that's really great fun. And in the case of The Stand, we actually got Stephen King, we got some of the actors, we got the DP, we got the editor uh, as well, because there's six hours of material to fill up. But it was great to get, you know, Machen Amick and Brian Kraus to do the Sleepwalkers commentaries and Q&As and stuff. Yeah. So that's another reason to do it. Reliving something that you really enjoyed uh, is, is really a good thing.
2: Well, hopefully there will be more of that to come. Uh, our final question is a little bit of uh follow-up from last week. Uh, friend of the podcast who owes me pizza, Demir. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I had a question about our conversation about being rewritten. Um, Ah. He asks, if you're really unhappy with the rewrite, can you choose to take your name off of a movie? And if not, how are screenwriting credits determined?
1: In directing, you can use a fake name if you don't want your real name on there. And that's Alan Smithy is the go-to directing one. And If you look him up on IMDb, he's made a very interesting collection of movies. (laughs) I bet. You wonder what the through line is. Uh, But in screenwriting, it is really up to the Writers Guild arbitration who gets credited. I suppose you could ask not to get credited. And if you do, and you're not credited on a movie, then you're also not entitled to residuals. Right. So that's the reason writers go to arbitration is so that if their name is on the movie, they will receive residuals from theatrical, from television, from all the other ancillary markets.
2: So, uh, because I'm sure most of our listeners are not familiar with uh, arbitration, and I know you've been through a couple, um, <laughs> a lot, <yeah. laughs> and, and 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 you have you've at least been, at least I know you've been asked to be an arbitrator. Have you, have you actually done it as well? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So tell tell us about the process because I'm actually about to go through it for the first time myself. So I wouldn't mind hearing more about it from, from you too.
1: Sure. Well, Uh, the arbitration process is every writer that has been employed by the producers to write a screenplay has the opportunity to make a bid for credit on the film. So what happens is, they, the shooting script of the film is sent to all of the writers who've been engaged. And you can say, well, this is so far afield from mine, don't even bother. Right. Or you can say, okay, here is why I should get credit. So those contested drafts are given to Writers Guild arbitrators who are Guild-represented screenwriters themselves. And they are given a pile of scripts that each of the writers feels represented the work that most represent is most represented in the movie itself or in the shooting script and so none of their names are on them so there's no conflict of interest it's writer a writer b writer c and the arbitrating writers members uh they read all of the material and they make up their minds and i don't know how many arbitrators there are on each project but it's usually unanimous what they feel. And then they propose what they feel the credit should be. And when you see multiple credits, if there's an ampersand between names, it means that's a writing team. If it's one writer and then it says A-N-D and another writer's name, those did not work together. so those probably went through arbitration and and that was how the arbitrators valued the the credit.
2: Right, right. which is why uh, on a movie like Elvis, which just came out, Boz Lerman has multiple writing credits because the WJ determined based on various different drafts, that those drafts were eligible for some form of credit and he happened to be, A solo and partnered writer on those different drafts. Right,
1: which is a very bizarre, one of the strangest screen credits uh, that I've ever seen. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Um, But it used to be that you couldn't have any more than four names and two of them would have to be uh, teams. Mm. So it would only be written by so-and-so and and -and so-and-so. Story would be something else if there was a different writer for story. Right. But now it seems like they'll go up to six
2: yeah and so and and you've you've had to in your uh I'm sure probably multiple times do one of those uh drafts basically petitioning why you should get credit yes. I assume yes. like what what sort of things do you put into that like how did do, how does that work um, well
1: everything that shows up in the shooting script that was in your script you want to put a red circle around and make it evident. Yeah. Whether it's a character, um, a character's traits, uh, a circumstance, uh, a plot point, a plot twist, a location, just every bit of minutia that you can put into it to, to plead your case that helps show that you had a tremendous amount of creative input and responsibility for what ended up in the final draft.
2: Got it. And then that helps... Uh, and that is presented to the arbitrators um, blind again uh, to read. It comes with and, the drafts. When right. you
1: get the drafts from the individual writers, you get to see their letter of why they should be included in the final
2: credits. When, um, you know, having been through the the process on on several different projects, did you ever feel like the arbitrators got it wrong?
1: no usually i've been the first writer and the first writer has a huge advantage yes uh, because conceptually it's there
2: right um
1: but there have been a couple of times where i wasn't credited that i was involved um but not in a way that i i really objected to
2: got it got it well there you go so uh so yeah it's 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 not like the director's guild where you can alan smithy it. um right yeah but uh but yeah it's 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 more about the uh the panel of your peers um,
1: so there's a much more convoluted uh, answer than the question <laughs> seem to require
2: <laughs> exactly <laughs> all right well that's it for this week mick uh you survived uh we'll be calling out for for more questions again soon uh through social media uh you can find mick at mick garris pm on twitter and Instagram. Uh, You can find me at Joe Russo tweets and at Joe Russo Graham. You can send your questions there or you can send them to our new email address. Ask anything at gmail.com. And thank
1: you for all the questions and please you can do us a big favor by rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, Mick. Thank you, Joe. Thanks everybody. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every Wednesday and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.
0: Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.